Championship, talk radio will actually educate, inspire, and make you think. The future is now. Topics and music that affect your life from Universal Broadcasting Network. Tune in at ubnradio.com. She's passionate about telling stories of amazing women who are rocking the world and empowering women to live, love, and thrive. Here's your host, Katherine Gray. Hello, welcome to Live, Love, Thrive Women's Empowerment Hour, brought to you by, of course, 360 Karma. We actually launched our new 360karma.com website this week, so please check that out for everything that we have going on for women's empowerment. Uh, as you know, we always have on incredible guests. I want to mention that next week we have on the amazing uh, Dr. Holly, who's going to be talking about holistic healing and all the new innovations in that arena. And also a very interesting filmmaker, uh, Katrina Jolie, who has a film uh, about trading gender and trading race uh, to see how it feels to be in someone else's footsteps. So that will be very interesting. If you don't want to miss any of these, of course, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube or follow us on your favorite podcast channels, uh, iHeart, iTunes, or any of the others. Uh, today, uh, we have on an incredible producer-director who is winning awards all over the world for her film, Sands of Silence. We're going to be talking to Cello Alvarez Staley. And then later in the show, we're going to have uh, straight from New York, she just got off a plane, uh, it's uh, Eden Galat of Galat Communications. She's the president of that company. And uh, we're going to talk about crisis PR. How timely is that right now? But first up, please give a warm welcome to Cello. Hi, Cello. Thank you so much for having me here, Catherine. Oh, it's a bet. pleasure. You bet. Uh, it was so exciting that you just told me you just got back from New York as well, uh, meeting at the UN. Yes, uh, we had an amazing uh, opportunity to present our film within the high-level political forum, a, one, a big conference at the UN at a side event uh, that was co-hosted by our partner Equality Now, a very strong organization in the rights of women around the world. And uh, with uh, it was presided by Spain's um, mission to the UN ambassador. Uh, it was a very well-attended meeting. Uh, it was overflowing. People were sitting in the, in the floor and on tables at the back of the room. It was a very interesting, and it was an honor to present there. And um, the, the reason why we presented this um, our film within this context is because right now the UN, in the, at the UN, they are debating how to adre address poverty. Mm -hmm. at a large level. And our film and all the work we do with the film mm -hmm. just shows that um, uh, exploitation of women, sexual exploitation, and poverty go side by side. If we don't empower women, if women are feel vulnerable and victimized, they can never uh, um, thrive. But once they break their silence about their abuse, be it sexual abuse, sexual assault, clergy abuse, or trafficking, they are much more um, prepared. They are empowering themselves. That gives them the freedom to pre be able to start their own life and right. their own career and, and path. And thus the name of your film, Sounds of Silence. In yes. other words, uh, how do we break that silence and, yes. and get women to speak up yeah. about it? Sense of silence, yes. uh, waves of courage is the, is the full title. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, what we have seen with this film, and it actually happened again in New York, the day after the presentation at the UN, we presented two at the... Um, 
uh, New York City Bar Association to mm -hmm. a, you know, an audience of lawyers, etc. And there was someone in the audience. It was in this case, it was a young student that broke her silence right there. And this wow. is happening again and again. Even you know, I've had people break their silence here on my show. Mm. I, I I'm not going to mention names today, yeah. but I've had several people come on, and actually for the first time in public mm -hmm. speak about. Uh, sexual violence or rape and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I'm so proud that this platform has given people thank an you. opportunity that's, to yeah. speak. That's wonderful. Yeah, about yeah. Thank it you so much. And, and, and break that silence. Mm -hmm. uh, as a filmmaker, as a documentary filmmaker, I also know that anybody who has a film like this mm -hmm. uh, has eat, lived and breathed it for years. I mean, uh, folks at home, don't try this at home to do a documentary unless <laughs> you really are passionate about the topic because yeah. you will eat, live, and breathe it for several years. Yeah. I mean, that's that's it. Mm -hmm. People do not realize how much goes into making a film like this. And then once it's done, you've been traveling all over the world with it, uh, showing it at various places. In fact, we're going to talk about you have an upcoming screening here in Los Angeles. Yes. yes. What's the date? October? It's Sunday. Uh, no, it's Sunday, July 30th. So oh, it's coming Sunday, up July in 30th. Yeah, it's okay. right here. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, very soon. And where's that going to be at? That's going to be at um, Hill One World, and the address uh, is going to be on the screen uh, right. very soon at West Pico Boulevard. Hill One World. It's going to be at 6 p.m. 6 sorry 6:30 p.m. on Sunday, July 30th. Right. And I hope uh, you all come 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 right. come. And if people can't make that, how can they find the film? They can actually uh, download it. No, by, it's the it film is not yet, yet. No, it's not yet available oh, okay. for public viewing. Only in selected screenings. Gotcha. Uh, we're gonna go into the educational distribution very soon, oh, and wonderful. we are presented it in, on, in person, like usually uh, it's myself, and then usually the main character in the film, a sex trafficking mm -hmm. survivor, Virginia Zayas, who is uh, really an amazing um, person mm -hmm. who really fits with the motto of this show, Live, Love, and Thrive, because what I call, she's not anymore a survivor. She's gone from victim she's to survivor. Thriver. She's a thriver. Love it. And exactly, that's the term that I that I was using for her in New York, because this is what we have to call them, these people that have come from the from the ashes, from the most terrible situation, and have are thriving now, and they're inspiring all of us. People are going to probably wonder what, uh, because I said you put years into something mm -hmm. like this, what possessed you to not only work on this film, but you've worked on several films about this topic, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which really uh, is all-encompassing, uh, you know. How do you do that? Like, this is a tough topic. Mm -hmm. What is your background that drove you into deciding that you were going to make films that were going to, help break the silence and and talk about this very sensitive subject of uh, sexual abuse, sexual violence, mm -hmm. um, and break the silence. So what is it in your mm -hmm. background that brought you to this uh, calling? Well, it's interesting because my background had nothing to do with this subject. Right. I went into medical school. Yeah. I dropped out after four years. Then I went into marketing. I ended up in, in Japan where I had the opportunity to study Japanese and, and business in Japan. But then I, I took a, a twist of the businesses and I specialized in media. I ended up working for um, NHK, the Japanese public broadcasting, on documentary films. That was my first incur incursion with media. And also I had the opportunity 
opportunity to manage editing, edit manage uh, the first newspaper in Spanish in the archipelago. Then after that, I became correspondent in Tokyo for uh, one of the main newspapers in Spain, El Mundo. It's too bad you haven't had an exciting life. <laughs> <laughs> but this is to tell you that I really never went yeah. to, to film school or journalism school, right. but right. I became a journalist uh, like on the road, yes. on the hard road, if you want. And just yeah. because I felt passionate for social justice in the beginning right. and, and with hum human rights, very soon I started really specializing in women's rights. There right. was something in me that was resonating yeah. and this kind of anger or, I don't know, need to denounce what was happening with the women in the world made me start writing and concentrating on that issue. Right. And then immediately what first came to mind in front of me was the sexual violence and trafficking. So I started writing about it and then pretty soon I was doing documentaries yeah. on the issue. But what I, I wanted... I, I feel like people feel helpless about mm -hmm. this topic. Yeah. You know, whether it be uh, trafficking or rape mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. in that category mm -hmm. that uh, we feel like, well, what can we do? Mm -hmm. and, and so I love that you've made this film trying to explain to people well, what they can do is speak up or to support other people they know exactly. that have been in this position because that is one of the problems, right, is mm -hmm. that people don't always support people that have uh, yeah. been raped or had sexual abuse. They almost blame them, yeah. right? There yeah. is a lot of blame and, st and stigma and also there is not enough recognition in our society that we have a pandemic of sexual abuse and sexual assault and clergy abuse. We we have, in the last years, we've done an amazing job in exposing the issues of sex trafficking, femicides, mm, domestic violence. But when it comes to sexual abuse, we have normalized it in yeah. such a way that we say, well, that happens to all of us, that happened to me in my village, that happened in my family. So. After working even for, in the U.S., you think? Oh yeah, even yeah, even I, in the I U.S. Agree. and in yeah. Europe and in Japan, in yeah. in Western countries, totally. So what happens is that after working as an advocate and journalist and documentary filmmaker for many years, denouncing the issue, the extreme of sex trafficking, I also realized that it's much difficult to put the finger in sexual abuse because it happens near us in the U.S., in Europe, in in in, in professional families and educated. Uh, in an educated society. So right. in my film, I touch the whole spectrum of sexual abuse from child sexual abuse, sexual assault, clergy abuse, and trafficking at the other extreme. Right. And then what happened is that usually trafficking films or documentaries, they inspire you to fight against the issue and maybe send a, a check to don and donate to those organizations that are fighting the issue. That's imp very important, and I've done that. But I wanted to do something that, I, I wanted to do a film that will make you yeah. In your family, you know, white American person, right. Right. reflect on what happened to your life to begin with right. or to those close to us. Right. To you. And everybody create, knows somebody that's been exactly. touched by this. And Everyone. Then, yeah. And yeah. then create the spaces in your family, in your school, in your church, in your association, wherever you are, you know? Yes. Create those spaces so that people can come out and speak out and then support them right. and give them resources. Right. Now, uh, without talking too much about your, the substance of your film, because I want people to see it, but it was something that touched home in your family that provoked you to explain it in a personal way yeah. uh, as well as in a broad way mm -hmm. and brought the two together. Because uh, 
which is a really good point. When people watch a film about what's going on in the world with trafficking and domestic abuses and, and sexual violence, they do need to bring it home and realize this is happening in their own families or their neighbors mm -hmm. or their friends and not look away from that. Mm -hmm. And so don't, don't you think, I mean, I think that that's what I got out of the, the approach of your film yeah. is that you're trying to bring it home. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because I, it, it was, it was in, uncanny. Um, I am, I, I, I realized by doing this film that took me eight years to, to finish. Eight years, uh, wow. I realized at one point in the process that it was resonating too much, that it was a very deep resonation, yeah. and I had to turn the camera to myself and my family and in my past and see why am I so uh, drawn uh, to this issue. So then when that happened, I realized, oh my God, I've been interviewing victims and survivors for years. And suddenly it's like, well, I am one of them. Yes. And I never wanted to confront them. Right. So even though my situation or what happened in my life wasn't terrific, like what happened to our main character, the right. sex trafficking survivor, still it was very important in my life. Right. And I never wanted to address it. So right. many decades later, I decided to address it. And that's, I think, the power in the film because... At one point, I just had to put my story there, even though I didn't want to. Right. And I was resistant to put myself in the film. I didn't right. want that. Right. But in the end, I had to be honest. And I had to say, you know what? Yeah. All the victims that I'm interviewing, me too. Uh, don't you think there's something healing? Uh, I mean, obviously, there is something cathartic about being authentic. I think so many people hide this part of their lives. And if they would just... Uh, put it out in the light and realize they're one of many that, that people have that th they don't want once they share it they, it won't own them anymore mm -hmm. there's something about being completely authentic yeah. that is freeing to yes. people and if this affects let's say one in four women which is supposedly it does mm -hmm. and could be more I don't know uh, then we have a lot of uh, I always say right now our revolution is about women helping women and so we should allow these platforms for women to have a safe space to say, hey, this is what helped happened to me, mm -hmm. and then be there for each other mm -hmm. and support each other Definitely. and figure out how do we change our culture of raising our boys so these things don't happen. I think we need to include yeah. men in our conversation. Yes. Sometimes, because we have so much power nowadays, I think, especially in America and in Europe, we women, we've gone very far in our rights, we're defending women. We also need to enlist men to, to, to support us. Right. And even more, I'm gonna say something that it could be a little controversial, but I had the, the chance to present the film in three prisons in Spain mm -hmm. in, in spring, and I presented to male sexual offenders, from mm -hmm. traffickers to sexual abuse uh, offenders to sexual assault. Wow. And that was one of the most, I mean, the strongest experiences <laughs> dealing with this issue in my life. I, for 20 years, I have been working with victims. And here I am in front of these the offenders, perpetrators. the perpetrators. Wow. You know, they had tears in their eyes when they watched the film. Really? And they were as thanking me for, for, for being there as a victim. And well, then we had need to get that film into every I know that, in the country. Definitely. It was yeah. an amazing experience. And we had an amazing Q&A with them. 
And they said, you know, one of them said, this is interesting, one of, of, of them says, you talk about creating spaces and, uh, and breaking the silence within the families about uh, victims of sexual abuse. I think we also have to teach people how to break their own silence when, when they're having an issue with this, with, with sexual abuse. Because I was a young kid and I don't understand when I was growing up as an adolescent why my family didn't notice some signs that there was something wrong with me and look where I have ended up here in prison. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh my God, I've never heard that. And of course it may be an excuse, but there is something there that I think we need to research and, right. and, and listen to and see. And he then wrote me an incredible letter who said, you know, maybe we can work so that the institutions also provide that kind of help to boys or right. when they are growing up because he said uh, a, um, a sexual a, a person a pedophile doesn't happen in one day it's something that takes a whole life to develop right. so maybe there, there has to be some resources for people to be able to access that kind of help I couldn't right. ask for help I didn't know where to do, where to go right. I'm not defending anyone but I'm saying that in our conversation right. it would be good to start opening to other the other side of the fence Absolutely, and to have this film in schools yep. and in uh, and in penitentiaries, like yep. you're talking exactly. about, yeah, it's it's important to break the silence in, in both arenas, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. schools, we have shown it in schools, and it's been amazing. Kids have come forward, taken the mm -hmm. mic, and said. I, there was um, a rape in my family, and, and my uncle is now coming out of prison, like something that happens in our documentary. And, and another girl, young girl in Spain saying, yeah, I want to tell you that I had to emancipate. I'm 16. I just emancipated legally from my family because I was also subject to abuse, et cetera, et cetera. So kids are responding very, very well to this film, too. So do you think, uh, so you think the film encourages them to obviously speak up mm -hmm. and that some people have spoken up because they've seen oh, the film. totally. Uh, it happens again and again. How wonderful that you have that mm -hmm. uh, fulfillment uh, yeah. of seeing it make No, a it's beautiful. That's yeah. why in, in so many times we try to have therapists in our screenings, even in film festivals. People wow. start going into catharsis. So we have therapists or we invite partner organizations to be there offering their resources mm -hmm. to the to our audiences that's super important we feel responsible you know wow, we don't want them to feel oh terrible this happened i yeah. recall this then, happened to me nowhere to go and they know where to go right. we, we try to provide that kind beautiful. of uh, support too that's yeah. wonderful that's beautiful. um now you've worked on other films in the past with mm -hmm. the same topic, well, right? Yeah, or similar. Yeah, well, this is my first feature-length film. Yeah, I've never had another one. I did work on a feature-length film for Canal Plus Spain on trafficking, child trafficking from Nepal to India, wow. and I did a, a short documentary called "Sold in America" about three women that were sold at a, at an early age here in America into mm -hmm. slavery, sexual slavery. So, so yeah. if somebody wants to be a filmmaker, they have something important they want to story they want to tell it sounds like the route you went even though you didn't go through uh, mm -hmm. formal training mm -hmm. uh, is that you just have to be passionate about what you're doing and you could start off with some film shorts yeah exactly yeah. and you and you it's a great way to teach yourself right? yeah, yeah yeah it's a great way and also you start helping other filmmakers in their yeah. productions and you learn a lot and you surround yourself by, by a very good team yes. I mean this film I didn't do it alone right it and takes the, the awards are for the whole team yeah. the whole crew yeah. and I had wonderful cinematographers and editors and you know associate producers so that's very important too 
Tell me about the uh, awards that you've just won. Where, where did you just get back from? And tell me about those awards. Well, I was, um, the first award was given in Spain, uh, mm -hmm. the Fest Malaga. Malaga. you were born. Yeah, I was born yeah. there. Yeah. Malaga Film Festival, suddenly they called me and they gave me first prize and silver biznaga for uh, asserting women's rights within the festival of Malaga. Beautiful. And then after that, we, we won two awards at the Malibu Film Festival right here. Oh my gosh. The Best Documentary and the Audience Award. Oh, that's fantastic. And then at the Los Angeles. I, I, I even think. Yeah. Winning the audience award is the best, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when the audience it's, it's, votes yeah, for it, I exactly. mean, you know it's... That's, yeah. that's real. Yeah, and, yeah. We, and we got another one at the Awareness uh, Field Festival in Los Angeles, another audience award, and those are the people who are organizing the Sunday, this Sunday, July 30th screening yeah. in Los Angeles. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, and then after that, amazingly enough, we received, well, we received a cultural award in Barcelona, too, in February, and now in June, we, re we won the um, uh, Southern California Journalism Awards that are given by the Los Angeles Press Club wow. and are judged by the National uh, Press Club in Washington, D.C. and oh other press gosh. clubs in the country. That's so that was, that was amazing. That's that was amazing. incredible. And then just like last week, we got nominated to the Imagine Awards, which are Consider it like the Golden Globe Latino in the wow. here in Hollywood, oh and gosh. in August we will know we, they will have their their gala. Yeah, <coughs> nominated so, for that one. Yeah, nominated Great. for best documentary. How fantastic! Yeah. It's nice to be rewarded for all that hard work. And I know, yes, yeah. especially because I mean I would say to to starting filmmakers, never give up. Yeah. Because I could have given up so many oh, times in those eight years. Nobody gave that. us funding. Yeah. Nobody really. I mean, the first six months, no, no film festival in the world was accepting it. And I thought, oh my God, this is the, the biggest flaw in my life. Yeah, eight yeah. years, I have to bury my hair, my head. And then suddenly, it started happening, and people started seeing the power of the film. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Maybe it's not a film that goes to Cannes or Sundance, but it's a film that really touches people's hearts. Yeah. And I'm so proud for that. Oh my gosh, it's it's it, it's an amazing thing that you've done, mm -hmm. and uh, the fact that you're helping change lives makes it absolutely invaluable. Um, so, uh, what what is your what is your proudest story, having traveled with the film? Has any has any woman come up to you and said this? This changed my life. I mean, I'm sure they yeah. have, but tell me specifically. I, I would say the proudest story was a young student in um, a university student in Madrid that, after uh, seeing the film at a festival, she came to me. She said, "Can I talk for five minutes?" And when I talked to her, she started telling me the story. And this, her story was that that summer she had gone to a physical therapist for a shoulder problem. And he ended up convincing her that he had to touch her vagina, pointing her vagina, showing her in Google, it's essential that I touch this point, and basically raping her with a vib vibrant uh, object. And, um, and she was like, and I don't know what to do. I want to do something. Can you help me? And then it was beautiful because I was able to put her in touch with a group of pro bono lawyers that took her case on. And hopefully Wonderful. she's com coming out of that and then going after this professional, which is, uh, was at the time it was still in practice. Oh, my gosh. And, and there are many stories out there exactly. like that. So there thank many. you for sharing that. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, when you know that you've impacted someone like that, that's invaluable. Mm -hmm. That's that's the greatest award of mm -hmm. all, yeah. right? Actually, yeah. and, and another interesting story, when I presented uh, the film at, at one of the prisons, one of the men 
after seeing the film says, you know, I'm the protagonist of something very similar to what happened to you. So then at the end he came and he said, you know, I'm a doctor and I abuse from some of my patients. And the funny thing is that I was always supporting human rights and look where I am. And my film, my film deals also with forgiveness, which is a very also delicate uh, subject. And he said, well, you talk about forgiveness and reparation. You think that being here in prison is already repairing? And I said, no, reparation happens when you take the hand uh, in your hands. The, 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 the fact that you need to return something, you need to give to society what you have robbed, you need to do something about it. And that's this what is I a, call karma. Exactly. Right. right. Yeah. Turn it around with good karma. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, do, you need to do something about it. Write a book. Help your victims. Do something. Because it's not enough with a, a society imposed penalty or, you know, right, right. sentence. It has to be a personal responsibility. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for making this film and, and touching pleasure. so many people in such a beautiful way mm -hmm. and making such a difference in the world. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Catherine. It's Thank been a you. pleasure. Thank you and, so much. And uh, we will be right back uh, with Eden Galat. Stay tuned. Thank you for tuning in to the Live, Love, Thrive show, where we bring you powerful and positive programming about women and those who support women's empowerment. It seems by sharing their stories and showing us their talent and potential, they remind us of our own. We ask you to join us weekly by taking a minute to subscribe to our 360 Karma YouTube channel so you get to see every episode of these uplifting and inspiring stories. We all need more of this, yes? And did you know we have the Live Love Thrive book on our 360 Karma website and on Amazon? If you enjoy reading books of incredible women who are doing amazing work in the world, you will want to pick up a copy. Also, when you join 360karma.com, you will enjoy our growing video content of expert advice and support and learn about our workshops and our second annual Women's Conference in West Hollywood, November 3rd and 4th of this year. If you would like to align with a like-minded, purpose-driven community, you will feel at home at 360karma.com. We encourage and support you to live the life you love. RTB Financial Group empowers women to raise the bar and take control of their financial future. For more information, visit rtbfinancialgroup.com or call Amanda Barr at 424-284-4216. The Live, Love, Thrive program is brought to you in part by Honda of Downtown Los Angeles, supporting the equality and empowerment of women. Hi, and we are back with Eden Galat. Hi, Eden. How are you? Awesome. How are you? Good. So I know you just got back from New York where you spend a lot of time. I do. I try to spend as much time as there as possible. Yeah. You know, I moved from New York to here uh, over a decade ago, but it's still one of my favorite cities in the world. Love New York City. Yeah. And you grew up there? I actually grew up uh, in Echo Park, so over here. But oh, you I grew spent, up here? I spent six years in New York. Oh. But it okay. is definitely where my heart belongs. Yeah. Sorry, ever, L.A. Would, would you ever end up there? I would like to split my time between yeah. L.A., New York, and maybe yeah. another city. Who knows? That would be the perfect, wouldn't it? Yeah. I would say, let's see, some, where would the summers be? That's a hard <laughs> one. The, the summers, <laughs> I don't know, L.A., New York, maybe a little bit less uh, Maybe a little bit of both. Here. Yeah. 
Okay. So you are our president of Galat Communications. Galat which, Communications. Which, like I like you a lot. Uh, got, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I get to play on the words. She wasn't saying she actually likes me, but. <laughs> Jill, so it's Jillot, Jillot. Mm-hmm. Jalot. I like you, Jalot. I like you a lot, Jalot. Uh, okay. Somebody uh, said that to me in high school, oh. and uh, I never forgot it. <laughs> okay. So you started this company, or your dad started this yes. company, and you and him worked together. Yes. Yeah, beautiful. It must be nice working with your father. I love it. I can't imagine yeah. life any other way. So you were telling me, like, from the moment you were growing up as a kid, yeah. you took to this like a fish to water. Yes. Which is the PR that your dad was it doing is back then. In- baked into me. So he used to work for the Associated Press yes. and then started his own company yes. in PR. Um, so tell me a little bit about, uh, as a kid, you were t- explaining to me that like if someone, uh, the kids had a breakup, they would come to you yes, to write I, uh, the breakup I, I, uh, I love to tell people the story about how my career actually started on the playground in Echo Park uh, in elementary school. Two friends of mine had been had been dating in the fourth grade. I mean, I know it's not a big deal, but at the time, you know, it's the entire yeah. world. But yeah. I was tasked with writing the breakup letter. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And now, did the person that received it know that you wrote it? They... <laughs> I don't know. I I didn't. I was never told. <laughs> but my two metrics were: did he understand, and and did he not cry? And I achieved. I achieved both. He understood, and and kept pretty good composure for you know a fourth grader. So so then your PR crisis, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, career. Yes. Was then off it was, and it was, running. It was born born on the playground. <laughs> went through junior high, high school, and if I had known back then that I would be doing the same thing now. I would have saved one of the many drafts I wrote. Oh, so, so. at that time, yeah. you didn't realize you would follow in oh, his footsteps. Oh, I had footsteps. no idea. Oh, okay. So you just knew that you were good at this crisis management, uh, but you didn't know that that was ultimately what I you I thought that everyone do. did this. I thought oh, it was just, you know, it. when uh, I would get a homework assignment or a paper, I would do several drafts, and my friends would ask me to come out and play, and I'd say, oh, well, I'm only on draft 19, maybe around 2022 20, is when I'm good. So I just <laughs> thought that was normal. Oh, that is funny. You really were born with this skill. Yeah. I'm thankful. Yeah. So uh, what else brought you to this point of having this company with your dad where you guys do PR crisis management? We're going to talk about what that is mm-hmm. um, and, and talk about your advice to Donald Trump right now. <laughs> I mean, talk about PR crisis, right? Uh, so we have we have to talk about I know. that oh, at I least know. for a little bit. Uh, but first of all, like, what was your journey to getting into public relations? So I realized that no matter where I had gone, everyone had always turned to me with the, oh, my God, Eden, don't tell anyone I told you this, but, or, oh, my God, I'm having this issue. What do I do? How do I say it? How do I tell people? When do I tell people? Do yeah. I tell people? Yeah. So. And, and and did you go to school for this? Yeah. I did not. Well, I did not formally go to school for crisis communication. Right. So they do course. have, I did go to NYU for public relations, but oh, it's a, a little man, bit different a of a beast. School. And that's when you fell in love with New York. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. NYU is such a great school. So there it is right in the middle of the city. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you. I actually used to live on Waverly and one of the few buildings on the North Park or North end of the park. One of the few buildings that isn't owned by NYU. Oh, I love that area. Yeah. It's so charming. And, you know, uh, some people love New York. Some people hate it. I I just love the energy of it, the culture of it. Mm -hmm. I love the people. I love meeting random people. Yeah. 
Yeah, it doesn't happen as easily here in LA, does it? I agree. Yeah, I don't know what that what that is. It's just two different cultures. It's more spread out here. Mm -hmm. There's something about uh, it being so close and all the energy mm -hmm. confined to that one city area, mm -hmm. I guess. You know, I laugh because my friend uh, says that uh, here in LA, they're like, oh yeah, we live in the city and then there's the valley. And I'm yep. like, we live in the city? Where, where's the city? <laughs> there is no city. Uh, but uh, you know what I'm saying, right? I know exactly what you're saying, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a different vibe than, than uh, New York. But uh, I love it here too. You know, this is so beautiful. And uh, so, so how do you, what kind of clients do you guys work with? So when we had first started off, it were, or was a bunch of clients that were having media relations issues. It was TMZ is calling or a reporter is calling and I don't know what to say. And then it started evolving over time to companies that had more of a proactive approach and you would do strategic communications. You would know that things would be coming down the pike later, not necessarily a, a full-blown crisis now. Right. Um, and actually now I work with a lot of nonprofits. Oh, that's great. So I enjoy that a lot. And I've always found when I interview people that most of the nonprofits here in L.A., most of them are founded by women. Yes. Isn't that interesting? I, I love I mean, it. Every industry is all, every industry I interview, I don't care if it's scientists or, you know, automotive or uh, tech, it, those are mostly predominantly male, mm -hmm. you know, directors in Hollywood, all of that male. The one niche that is more predominantly female are nonprofit startups. Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's a, a woman's perspective of wanting to help people. It tends to be more of our fiber and our upbringing and our culture, mm -hmm. I guess. That's what I'm guessing. So it must be great working in that niche. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. What type of nonprofits do you work with? They really run the gamut from, you know, aiding children to battered and abused women, mm -hmm. firefighters. You mean, you name it. A lot of work with children, though. It yeah. So as a woman in this male-dominated industry, mm -hmm. um, what has that journey been for you? Like, I know you mentioned to me that your dad's always been really supportive. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure having him in that industry and having his support mm -hmm. has been a huge Oh, tremendous. Up. Yeah. Yeah. But had you not had that, it's, it's a very male-oriented industry mm -hmm. like many, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a... I grew up, and a lot of my friends were boys. I was always kind of a tomboy, and then poof, I started dressing super girly. I don't yeah. know what happened there. Um, <laughs> but I always was was pretty. That never happened to me, but that's okay. <laughs> I was always pretty uh, determined in what I wanted, yeah. and uh, and when I first started, I was early on in my twenties, and I. I think a lot of it was in my head where I was like, I don't know if people are taking me seriously yeah. because they don't think I have a lot of formal experience. Yeah. And I wasn't quite sure of myself. And then I and find... I think everybody goes through that. Like, yeah. if people are listening, like, in your 20s, mm -hmm. you're trying to look older, be older, talk older. Yeah. You know, you want people to take you seriously. Uh, and, and so I think that's, you know, most people's journey. But it was wonderful yeah. to have somebody, my father, who was so supportive yeah. throughout the entire process. And it was, Eden, you know what you're talking about. Be confident. Own it. Don't Own ask. It. Yeah. questions about things that you know just state them as fact right and I'm really thankful that he does that and so I've actually taken that over to my clients now I find that a lot of women uh, especially they when given advice so they ask me for advice I give them advice and they go oh are you sure are you okay do you think I did okay can yeah. you train me again yeah and it's no own it you've got this right you know I've, I've seen uh, about I've heard about research that says uh, women 
think that they need all these qualifications to do something and then think they need like one or two. And so that would tie over to what you're saying mm -hmm. is that when you deal with uh, women, they second guess themselves, and men are always very sure of themselves, even if they shouldn't be, right? Well, another guest yeah. that you had on the show, Deborah Shame, she talks about how women, uh, their fear of being perfect actually stops them a lot from getting right. out in front and speaking. Right, and I remember now that you work with Deborah Shames, yes. who's uh, an amazing woman. I've had her on the show, and uh, I'm sure she's the one that brought us together. Yes, she is. Uh, and, and you do training for her. Yes, I do. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, a wonderful program to help women build their confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, her program, mm -hmm. um, and you help uh, you help with the, that workshop, right? Yeah. So she has a business development. Or I guess we have a business development workshop that is really popular among professionals, especially yeah. in the Southern California region. Yeah. No, it, women definitely need that um, encouragement and and training mm -hmm. to figure out how do they own it. And how do they not second guess themselves mm -hmm. and have uh, self-esteem and confidence? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is an issue in this culture. It's great there's programs out there like hers and yours uh, that uh, help women to uh, garner that. Yeah, love it. How do people find that program? So it's a lot of referrals. It's the, the yeah. love that people, they, you know, you sit down with somebody and they talk about, yeah. oh, I don't think that anyone cares about what I have to say. And you go, well. Yes, people do. Yeah. You gotta be more confident about it. Yeah. By the way, I did this really great workshop yeah. or training. Yeah. I think you should go too. So right. Butts in the seats are almost always word of mouth referrals. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But they do have a website, don't they? Of course they do. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, do we know the website? Uh, uh is it anyone could go Google Deborah Eloquy. Yeah. 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 She's amazing. So um what is it that uh PR crisis is. That's what I want to get into because people don't always know what PR crisis is. And True. I think the first thing they think of mm -hmm. is uh, how do I change my Yelp feedback? <laughs> you know, yes. Is that the first one people say? Uh, not always. People are usually like, oh, with Trump now, they're like, oh, Trump needs your services. Yeah. Um, the easiest way for that me to- That should be your byline now. <laughs> to, to differentiate, there's marketing PR and then there's crisis and strategic PR. It's with marketing, it's, hey, I did this really great thing, check it out. And for us, it's, oh, no, please, like, I'd like to not talk about this. I hope you never find out about the thing yeah. that happened. Yeah, you told me, like, whoops. It's, yeah. uh, my clients usually call me after they've said either oops, uh-oh, or oh, no. <laughs> right. No. Uh, well, that, that would be after a date, right? No. <laughs> so oops, uh-oh, or oh, no yes. in business means I need PR crisis. Yes, it's, uh, oh, no, I didn't know what I was doing was illegal. Okay. Uh, and I'm facing a lawsuit or, oh, wow. oh no, like, oops, where the money go is one of my, not favorites, but yeah. that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, it's always, it's how do you explain a difficult or controversial subject right. in the nicest way possible? So when I started my career writing breakup letters for friends, it was how do you deliver bad news in the nicest way possible? Now right. it's still the same thing And you told me decades you use, later. Uh, this is great information for our folks at home that you use the sandwich effect. Yes, yes. And I've heard of this. So you start with something positive, yes. then you deliver the information that yep. they don't want to hear, yep. and then you end it with something positive. Yeah, uh, right? you know, the compliment sandwich, or if you don't like that, you can call it the hopeful hoagie or the, you know, sunshine <laughs> sub, whatever you want to call it. But yeah. you never want to start off bad news with, we right. regret to inform you, yeah. or I'm so sorry I have to tell you this, but. Right. So. So something Always positive. ease them in with something positive, or at least neutral. Don't just wham them right in the face with the bad news. And definitely don't leave off with the last thing being bad yeah. news. So now when people think of PR crisis, they think uh, 
okay, so like a food company has some sort of outbreak of something or whatever, and that, it, that people think of it as being um, something about how you would control social media or media. It, that is a part of it, yes. But the other thing you explained to me, which I found interesting, was that it's also not just the not just the social media, mm -hmm. but directly the shareholders, mm -hmm. the, the employees. Oh, your employees. The, if you do not yeah. communicate with your employees, you know, who are you going to be faithful to then? If you don't have employees, what kind of company do you have? Right. So it's the employees, the shareholders, the donors, especially right. if money goes missing in a nonprofit. Right. You have to explain to the donors, hey, money went missing. This is what happened. This is what we're doing to fix it. And then you wow. have to paint the, the bright, happy future. Right. It's always so, about reassuring people, reassuring does that you have that happen under a lot with nonprofits? I, quite, yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, so then you have to explain it away in a way that mm -hmm. works. So it's not just about the media. But, okay, Donald Trump. We have to go to this whole thing. I mean, this is like every week, right? PR crisis. I don't know who his PR crisis people are, but, uh, like, what would you do in that case that it feels like PR crisis every week? How do they rail that in? It's it Well, people people give uh, him a lot of flack because it's, what about all these crazy things that he's doing? Like, yeah. where are his handlers? And I'm going, we maybe there are more things. And his handlers actually stop him from saying a lot of stuff we don't know. Oh, oh um, we, might have, we might just be getting the tip of the iceberg. Yes, we might huh? only be getting oh, the tip wow, of the iceberg. That's Who knows? That's scary to think. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, but when something is said or tweeted mm -hmm. and it's like very controversial yeah. or, or out of, you know, just really in poor taste, uh, how does, whether it's him or someone else, the CEO of any company, mm -hmm. how do they manage that? You know? Yeah. I mean, what do you do when a tweet's out there? You know, do you, how, what when would you it, when do? When it comes to what would you do? anything with tweeting or social media it's yeah. before you post anything you always have to ask yourself just pause for you know half a minute and go is this something that if it resurfaces am I going to be okay with right. you know whether it's you know a person who's thinking about applying for a job if I lose this you know next job or client based on this mm -hmm. should I post it uh, it's just having that brief pause I think speaking would save a lot of people. Yeah. Speaking of political, what's your advice to businesses on posting political things? It depends. I mean, if it's part of your values and your brand, then mm -hmm. sure. Uh, I think we're definitely heading into a, a world now where people are much more vocal than they used to be. They used mm -hmm. to say, don't talk about sex, religion, or politics. Yeah. And now I feel that it's actually entered the conversation a lot more. Right. When you come Which down one, on the issues. sex or the politics? All of it. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I think that, uh, I, I just think personally, it's something that should be discussed on a personal level. I think, why would you put your company up and say political things? I feel like it doesn't belong in that business arena, but that's me, you know? I just think, you know, in the in as divided as we are, mm -hmm. if your business gets behind one or the other, you're gonna lose half the people as you're, Customers. Well, I guess it, it goes back to, you know, it depends on if you post something like this or if you come out, come down with a stance, are yeah. you going to be okay with potentially losing clients right. or customers? And if you right. are, more power to you. Right. What is your favorite story of people that you've helped out? My favorite story? Ooh, you're going to be more specific about that one. Well, uh, do you have a particular nonprofit or uh, company through the years that you really helped them turn it around, this crisis thing, like 
you know, you don't have to say which specific company, but just the story. My favorite client has to be a long, long time client of mine. And it was first, it was a dispute with Google that we had worked with. And then it was a partnership dispute. And then it was a lawsuit that they were facing. And then it was a battle with competitors trying to bash them online. And the thing that really I loved about it was that she would call us for everything. It was, I don't know how to word this. Is this okay? Am I coming out in a strong position or am I giving too much away? And it was knowing that we had become such an integral part of her communications. I, I just loved. That, that's great. And that's something that you really would like to do with all of your clients mm -hmm. is be the go-to people mm -hmm. when something arises like that, mm -hmm. a lawsuit or a slam on social media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, gosh, in this day and age, it seems like everybody would need your services uh, with social media being so prevalent and, you know, really uh, creating such a... Um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, for different companies, whether it's their Facebook or their Twitter or um, their Instagram, uh, a, a reputation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, it's just like uh, most of the people, too, hire people to do their social media. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very careful, too, yes. that they're actually representing you properly, yes. right? Uh, a lot of companies, they, they fail to, when they set out the person that does social media, it's like, oh, we'll just go do a thing. And they don't think about, if I post this, how might this be misinterpreted? Oh, yeah. So it's really a safe thing to do is to have somebody just go, oh, from another perspective, have you ever considered this? Right, right. And uh, what's the future for you? How, how are you building your company? So it's funny because somebody actually just asked me that. They were like, what are you planning on doing when you're your father's age? And I said, you know, with technology now, I have no idea what my career will even look like. Maybe it will completely disappear. I have no idea with technology. I don't know that it would ever disappear because it seems like people always have to manage their reputation. And it feels like the more social media there is, which mm -hmm. continues to seem to grow, the more need you would have for your... PR crisis. Do you all do regular PR too, or just the crisis? Crisis and strategic communications. It's never, never the fun stuff. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's fun. fun. My clients, you. my clients, yeah. don't think it's fun. But it's never like yeah. I created a yeah. service or a product. Hey, check out how awesome we are. It's yeah. oops, uh oh, or oh no. <laughs> how do we hide this? Right. Or not necessarily hide it, but yeah. explain it in the nicest way possible. Let me ask you some, like, let's say a big case that pops in the. A country like the the big Wells Fargo debacle last year, um, would you? How would you have handled that? And and did they handle it well? So, I love when people ask me these things. So we because I'm not in those situations, I can't give the best. This is how I would have done it because I have right. limited amount of information. I am asked quite often with Chipotle and Uber and Wells Fargo yeah. to comment on what do you think about this? Yeah, and it's always. You need to make sure that you tell the truth. Do not lie, especially with the internet. Things that you say mm -hmm. live forever, it seems. So mm -hmm. don't lie. You need to make sure that you reassure. You need to reassure again and yeah. build back up your reputation. Right. Yeah. I think they've been doing that. I feel like they've been doing a good, uh, a good job with it. Uh, they fired everybody involved in the- Took in a the, while, but- the, yeah. yeah, it took a while. And, and then also, uh, They've been doing things to, uh, I think, prove that they're uh, 
you know, a credible, worthy institution. Uh, what about Uber? Now, Uber's still trying to manage theirs, right? I know. I mean, I have a lot of friends that won't use Uber. They have switched to Lyft because of everything that's gone on with Uber. Is Uber doing a good job? They are moving in the right direction. Um, along with Chipotle and Wells Fargo and Uber, when allegations first started coming out, I was like, now is the perfect time. If they know other skeletons in the closet, now is the perfect time to air them. You don't want to have things trickle out little by little because those mm -hmm. are just new news stories that are going to keep popping up. Mm -hmm. um, but with Uber, uh, I was actually in Philly not too long ago, and I went to go hail a car, and it was an Uber. And my girlfriend just goes, Ew, Uber, what are you doing? Yeah. I only use Lyft. And I was like, oh, man. I didn't realize it had actually gotten to that point. I hear right. chatter online about yeah. how people are like, oh, you know, delete Uber or whatever it is. Yeah, no, I've definitely heard people say that and uh, have said to me, which one do you use? You need to use Lyft. And, you know, oh, it's become very political and controversial. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, just like uh, there's places around town that people boycott for various mm -hmm. reasons. And, yeah, there's a lot of, I, I think what you do is very invaluable and that any company that uh, is facing a crisis uh, definitely needs to reach out to someone like uh, Jalot yes. Communications <laughs> uh, and, and you, Eden, and your dad, your dad's name? Roger. Roger. Oh, yeah, you told me you call him Roger. I do call yeah. him Roger. I, uh, yeah. I grew up watching The Simpsons and Bart calls his dad Homer, so I think that's where I got it from. I love it. And he's cool with that, huh? Yeah, I, he's never told me otherwise, so I'm going to assume, <laughs> yes, he's okay. All right, cool. Well, so nice to have you on the show. I appreciate that uh, to have a woman in the male-dominated industry, and I want to wish you all the best to grow the company and continue doing that great work. Um, so, and I hope I never need to use you. That's that's always one of the things when some are like, Eden, can I talk to you? I'm always yeah. like, oh, what did yeah. you do? My heart always drops into my yeah. stomach. They're like, no, 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 it's just for a friend. I go, oh, I mean, that's it's just a breakup. Awful, <laughs> I'll have you write a breakup letter. <laughs> no, but thank you for being on and thank, thank you, you for, for having being me. a trailblazing woman in this industry. I appreciate you being Thanks. on. I enjoyed it. Okay, guys, we will be back next week, same time, same channel, and uh, just make it a great week. Hugs and happiness.